Welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast, where we share the successes and challenges of raising pigs on pasture. We talk to producers all over the country, from small homesteads to large commercial pasture operations. Whether you're new to pastured pigs or have been raising hogs for decades, we hope you hear new ideas and new perspectives on pasturing hogs. Here's your host, Troy McClung. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. So glad you all decided to join us for yet another week as we have uh, some great discussions about pasturing pigs. Uh, quick d- updates on the farm here at Red Tool House. Um, it's raining. It won't stop raining. Uh, we've had uh, we've been inundated with water. We have uh, flood warnings throughout our entire county. Uh, fortunately for us, we are high enough on the watershed that uh, that's really not so- something we have to deal with. But uh, I think the pigs are starting to grow gills, so it's been uh, it's been a little moist to say. Uh, but the uh, the new pigs from Six Oaks Farms are doing really well, uh, eating up a, a lot of things, uh, destroying uh, anything they can get their little noses in. So <laughs> we're uh, anxious to get them out on bigger pastures. So we'll do updates as we go along on that. Well, on tonight's interview, I uh, sat down with Grant Goldberg from Twisted Pines Farm, and he's in Colorado. And he has a really neat discussion, um, and I'll obviously let him tell the story, but uh, a really neat point about quitting the rat race and following his dream to farm. Uh, he you know, just kind of took that leap of faith, um, fortunately had a supportive wife there that uh, was, was uh, endearing to his calls, and, and they, they both took that plunge together. Uh, he also has a, a good discussion about educating the customer on how to understand the value of your product. He and I had some back and forth discussion about that and shared uh, our experiences from both sides of, of our farms to say, you know, this is, this is what you have to do to help educate the customer on the value of product, why we can price our product uh, where we do and justify that. So uh, without any further ado, we'll get into the conversation and I'll catch you guys at the end. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast. It's another week and we have another episode Uh, Tonight's interview is with Grant Goldberg from Twisted Pines Farm in Colorado. So welcome, Grant. Thank you. Good to be on. All right. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to uh, let me talk to you about what's going on there. So tell me a little bit about Twisted Pines Farm. Uh, Where are you and uh, what's kind of the 40,000-foot elevation view of what you got going on there? Yeah, so we are located in Black Forest, Colorado. We're about 20... Yeah, 20, 25 minutes north of the springs. And um, my wife and I started this operation back in 2014. Um, I grew up in Colorado Springs, so born and raised right here, and grew up on a cattle uh, and quarter horse ranch. So, you know, didn't go very far, didn't change much of what I was doing. Um, And we do all grass-fed and pasture-raised meat. So we do beef cows, we do pigs, uh, grass-fed lamb, and then we do broilers and turkeys and ducks, and so I mean we we kind of do it all, and we got a we got a busy season when we are in full swing. So yeah, uh, wow, I bet. And then uh, yeah, you know, and so uh, winter is you know definitely our slow season up here, but <laughs> um, it's it's kind of nice to relax and regroup and figure out all right, get ready for the next spring. So yeah, so. Is winter longer than uh, than the growing season there? <laughs> How's that work out? It's it's about fifty fifty. We start, uh, you know, we we kick off our season when our first batch of chicks arrives, and we usually try to time that with our first 
litters of piglets. And so that's normally when season starts, which is generally right about, oh, latter part of April, first part of May. And then uh, we're done with chickens and pigs are off to slaughter on Halloween. So we uh, got a six month season and then we do six months of winter. So when the ground freezes solid, we're, we're kind of done for the year as far as poultry goes and slaughtering goes and, and all of that. So then it's just more maintaining everybody through the winter and into next spring. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing you had, uh, that you had in the notes that before we, we came on air that your farm is 7,500 feet in elevation. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. We sit, uh, yeah, right at 70, like 7220, um, is where we sit. So, and then we, and that's where, you know, kind of home base is. And then our grazing, um, where we graze all of our beef cattle, we actually graze, you know, right up, uh, just over 8,000 feet. So, it's a it's a big elevation uh, for doing what we do, and it's pretty thick with pine trees. That's primarily what we have. We have some extra stuff interspersed, you know, an oak tree here and an elm tree there, but primarily it's all pines. And where we sit, um, experienced you know a big fire. Um, so the Black Forest Fire in Colorado was hmm. well five or six years ago, and that fire stopped a mile north of our farm. Oh wow! And, yeah. um, so, but you know, it's so thick back in here that these trees are old a lot of them have dwarf mistletoe uh, which is where we actually derive the name of our farm because um, the dwarf mistletoe twists these trees up and oh, yeah. okay. um, so part of you know part of dealing with that is using those animals to help mitigate the fire danger and to help mitigate and restore the soil to what it can be you know so that you can continue to run animals through here so yeah, so that that was obviously going to be my next question: is the the challenges at at farming at that elevation? Obviously, other than the cold, uh, what's your soil type like? What's your access to water? How how does all that come into play? Yeah, water is water is tough. Um, we redrilled our well uh, what five and a half years ago now, and so um, the best aquifer we got is almost five hundred feet. Wow. So yeah. that was that was not a cheap affair to dig that little guy, but. We finally got pipe run around in hydrants, so water has been a big deal. You know, this time of year, it's all about keeping everything thawed, so it's all tank heaters and, you know, extra stuff that we can do to make sure that everybody's water stays flowing and uh, keeping it filled up and having extra hydrants put around the farm this year was a big benefit for us um, to be able to to keep everybody in winter because, you know, hoses freeze solid, and when they freeze solid, you know, it'll be, could be weeks before we get weather warm enough to thaw that out. So you got to be diligent about if you're going to fill up water tanks, you do them all right then. And then you hang those hoses. Thankfully we have trees so that we can actually throw our hoses up in a tree and drain them out so they don't freeze. But, um, you know, it's stuff back right now, tonight it's snowing outside. And, um, so, you know, it's all about bedding down the animals enough so that they're warm and can get out of it without having to, put them up in a barn unless it gets really bad um but you know generally we we try to do stuff so that in the winter it doesn't impact us or the animals too bad so we really try not to farrow any piglets in the winter um or do anything like that because that gets kind of challenging with the cold and the snow and you know we'll go weeks on end where it doesn't get above 30 degrees so some of that gets gets challenging i bet so what what kind of snowfall totals i mean obviously 
uh, Colorado Springs, those areas, that's their ski resorts for a reason. So are, are you seeing that right. kind of snow totals? <laughs> you know, we, it kind of depends on the year. Last year we did, um, you know, last year, primarily at our farm, if it does snow, um, hard, we'll have usually between a foot and a half to two feet of snow that sticks around from November to May. And you got to just kind of learn to work around in that. This year hasn't been so bad. It's been actually a very mild winter thus far. Um, so for that, you know, it's good and bad. You you take that as low snowfall in the winter means it's not too bad to trudge through and you can get extra stuff done, but then it affects your grass for the next year because it is such a short season. Hmm. So without all that snowfall, we you know, pastures don't come back as fast. You're feeding hay a lot more in the winter and, and earlier in the winter. Um, so, you, you know, it's kind of that give and take, but usually our big heavy snow months are March and April. And, you know, last year we had our big, the big bomb cyclone uh, blew through here. So we ended up with two feet of snow. We had the wind cracking around it. Uh, I think they said it out at the weather station next to us, it was 89 miles an hour. Wow. And un- unfortunately, right then, one of my sows decided she needed to farrow 12 hours before <laughs> that. So I'm walking back and forth to the barn in that deal. And uh, this is why, you know, it's it's important to time your litters really carefully around here in the winter and and do that kind of stuff. So um, but, you know, usually it's in fact, our last snow last year was June 10th. Um, It snowed Hmm. in June last year, which I haven't seen in a while, but it does do that once in a while. And uh, so normally this time of year, it's just cold. We'll get into the big heavy snows here in the next two months or so. Wow. Yeah. So that's, <laughs> so, I, so I have to have to back up here for a second because of my ignorance and uh, being a uh, uh, East Coaster. So what you're saying is your snowpack that you get in the wintertime affects the grass quality throughout the summer. Is that because of, of obviously just saturation in the ground? Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Our, our soil is, you know, for lack of a better word, it's terrible. Yeah. Um, most of the soil, especially up here, because of where we sit in the forest, you know, we get in some places two thick foot of mat of pine needles. And because of the acid in the pine needles, it kills everything. Uh-huh. So part of what we use our pigs for primarily is a mulching crew. And so when we go in and take out the older diseased trees, the twisted trees, then we'll run our pigs through there, um, you know, in a half acre to an acre paddock and let those guys, and we'll leave them for a week. Uh, which is normally, you know, in a group of 18 or so, a lot of guys would probably say, you know, holy cow, you're going to destroy your dirt. It'll look like the surface of the moon. And they're right, it does. But that's kind of the point. Yeah. Um, to let it look like the surface of the moon for a whole season. And we won't run anybody back over that section for a year. So, but if we can grind all that pine needles up and let those guys get in there and turn up the soil we really have about four to five good inches of topsoil and then we get into crushed granite and clay. Hmm. And so it's, it's a terrible soil to try and grow anything um, unless we have the pigs. And what we've seen over the last oh three to four years, especially is after we let the pigs get in there, then we'll go in and re reseed behind them. And we reseed primarily with a lot of root crops, turnips and beets and um, some carrots thrown in there, parsnips and, and then we'll come in with a, you know, a top cover too to keep that topsoil from eroding away. And as long as we get some pretty heavy snow, we have great pasture. And if it doesn't snow very well, then, you know, we're bringing home cows off of grazing in October instead of December because there's no more grass. Wow. 
And yeah, and yeah. so our pigs play a huge part in that for our pastors out here. Yeah, so I assume uh, as typical out west, then your your summer season, your rainfall totals drop dramatically, and, and you don't have a lot of precipitation then to to help out. Right, exactly. And it's it's heavy rain usually in June. July will be the month where you know we don't see rain for July, maybe most of August, and then September, October it'll start to rain, and then it snows again. So if we get enough snow to really get that grass a good jump start in May and June then we'll have really nice productive pastures and we can substitute a little bit with irrigation here and there um, to get us through July and August but if we don't get that good snowfall then you got to start getting kind of creative with okay when do I start buying hay and so we you know we've learned around here after the last two winters that you just stockpile hay year round just in case (laughs) right yeah be prepared so all right well let's uh let's talk about the setup obviously you're you're a pretty intense polyculture it sounds like with all these different protein sources so how does that you've talked a little bit about some of the pasture management with your pigs already but how do you manage that the the size of the farm how do you have that sectioned off uh when it comes to all your different uh different uh, protein sources there yeah so what we do primarily with our cows um because they're kind of the first line of what we do we uh, feed around bales of hay all winter we move that around and let them um waste hay for really you know there's lots of guys that'll cringe at that but we let those cows get in there and they'll pull out the hay and they waste on it and then doing what they do they stomp on it and poop in it and stomp on it and poop on it and then lay in it and then they pull more down and they do all that and then by systematically moving them around what we're doing is packing down and creating you know anaerobic compost is really what we've done and then as the snow falls on it it kind of locks it in for the whole winter once spring hits we'll bring our sows down and let them start tearing through and then after they uh, farrow and we have our sets of piggies that we move through uh, with all electric wire um, we let them go to town and tear it all apart and then we'll reseed behind them and then we'll bring our chickens um, through you know to kind of help spread the manure back out and reseed one more time and by doing that you can add you know two to three inches of topsoil a year up here to do that so that you can really build your pasture back through and you know it's kind of a chaotic ballet but we're always moving a group so whether that's the sows get moved over here the goats need to get moved over to this you know pasture to knock down the grass that nobody else will eat or can use first you know so we'll come through with our herbivores then our pigs then our chickens and by doing that and kind of systematically managing that on our home base piece of property we can really add a lot of topsoil and a lot of good pasture management so that when the cows come in off of our grazing lease there's really really nice productive pasture left to get them through for a month or two before we have to start feeding hay yeah wow. so everybody else kind of centers around the cows because of the way that they eat and what they waste everybody else is a lot more efficient in the way they use pasture and the way that um, you know they can help add to it as opposed to the cows that then kind of carry it through the winter and then we do it all again yeah okay so how many acres of pasture are you managing with this whole setup um so with our pigs in that whole deal we run on eight and a half acres um, of pasture and then our cows we lease about 650 acres oh wow okay. um, yeah. up here it's terrible you know i know you guys back east um when i've been out to uh visit you know jnl green farm or joel's place down there Mm -hmm. um 
and seeing some of those guys, you know, I'm jealous because I say, how many cows do you get? And they're like, you know, we can graze two, three cows an acre. And up here we get to graze one cow per 35 acres. Oh, wow. And so it's terrible grazing. So, you know, on 600 acres of ground, you can really run 20 nice beef cows for a year. So <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta play to scale. So we run those guys up there, but on eight and a half acres, we manage to do all of our, uh, pigs, our chickens, our lambs, our ducks, goats, and sheep. So yeah. we kind of run everybody else, and it's an intensive, you know, like I say, kind of rotational deal. But if you if you get the the timing down on it, so that you get your good grass growing back in by the time you're ready to move everybody back in, you really get into a nice rhythm and rotation. Yeah, excellent. So. so. So, yeah, this is a pretty good management system you've put in place, and, and you've mentioned maybe some of the places you visited to, to kind of get ideas from there. But going back to your experience, did did you were you looking at some of these uh, regenerative processes back in your early experience, or is this something you've kind of you know, changed your path somewhere? Yeah, give us a genesis of this. Yeah, you know, when, when we really looked at, at doing the farm, um, you know, my wife is from Central Texas and has no agricultural experience whatsoever. Um and I actually got a, I have my, my bachelor's in finance and I worked in IT for 15 years and I said, this is terrible and I don't want to do the office rat race anymore. And so um, I came home one day and I said, I quit. And she said, you did what? And I said, I quit. I can't do it anymore. I got to go do something else. And she said, well, what would you like to do? And thankfully she is a saint. And I said, well, I'm thinking, how, how do you feel about raising chickens? And because uh, we could raise some meat chickens out here, it can't be that bad of a deal. And she said, "Well, as long as we're doing something else besides chicken, I'm good." So we uh, we started with broilers and found a USDA processor close to us, and it was really kind of a trial by fire when we started because the USDA processor that we had, we call him, and and he was, you know, the biggest in oh I don't know how many states, but they were doing you know, hundreds of thousands of birds a month. And so when we called and said, Hey, you know, we're getting into this thing. Would you process our birds USDA? Cause that was the only way we could sell them in Colorado at the time. Hmm. And he said, yep, happy to do that. How many you want to bring me? I said, I'd like to start with a batch of, you know, 200, 150. He said, if you want it to be worth my while to do that, you got to start with a thousand. Oh, wow. So yeah. the very first batch of broiler chickens we ever did out on pasture was a thousand. Yeah. No, uh, oh my goodness. Yeah, it, it, I like to say it was. It's a quick learning experience when you got a thousand baby chicks that show up and you go, "Yeah, okay, I guess we're really going to do this now." So we uh, we did that our first year and had great success with it. And you know, out here in the springs, you know, we have all the military bases. So we have Fort Carson and the Air Force Academy and Shriver Air Force Base and Peterson Air Force Base and um, you know NORAD. And, and Northcom and those guys. So, I mean, it's a big military town, so we get people moving in from all over the place. And when people have moved in from places where local food is easy to come by and farmer's markets are the norm for people to shop at for dinner, they show up out here and it's kind of a food desert Yeah, because it's tough um, to find anybody that does anything local, that does anything regenerative, that does – you know, there's a lot of feedlots out here. You know, the, the Greeley feedlot up here in northern Colorado is one of the biggest in the country. And, you know, so, I mean, there's lots of that going around. But, you know, when you tell people we raise chickens and we and we pasture them, they go, 
you do what? And so you have to kind of explain that. So we really got into it. And then as we got into chickens, I really got into looking at how other people are raising their birds. And one of the first things that they always added was pigs. And so they said, if you're going to do chickens, pigs are the natural add to what you do. And the more you read about it, you know, the guys that really have great success with their pigs are guys that can do them in the trees. And I said, well, heck, we got lots of forest out here. Let's get us a pig. So we did. And uh, we found a great breeder and everything was going swimmingly. And we raised a really nice set of pigs that year. And I called him the next year to get our piglets. And he said, oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you, I moved to Louisiana. (laughs) And we went, okay, now what? So we scrambled around. Thankfully, we found somebody about three hours north of us that had um, uh, a pastured operation, was able to sell us some sows. So that's really kind of how we jumped into, you know, breeding our own and having our own pastured pigs. And um, we figured, well, heck, if we're going to do pigs, we might as well just keep adding to it. So beef is a huge seller out here um, being out west. But, you know, pork is one of those two that if we didn't have people that moved in from the east coast and the south and stuff that had had pastured pork before and knew what they were getting, I don't think we'd sell a lot of pigs. Right. And so – Thankfully, we live in that diverse enough of a place that we get a lot of folks that come in and they go, oh, you do pastured pigs? Awesome. I'm from Washington, D.C., and I'm in. And you go, awesome. That's what I like to see. So really trying to um, build on that local food community, especially in a big military town, has been a little bit different. But I think it's because of that that we've had a lot of success doing that. So Yeah, that's excellent. Yeah, very Mm -hmm. good. So – how many how many head of, of pigs are you raising and do you, do you batch them how, how do you going about that yeah you know and like um so like i said because pigs are, are a tough seller for us a lot of years so we we really only run two sows right now um and our boar and then we'll have a couple litters and our sows are ultra productive last year one had 13 and one had 14 um in a litter so i mean when you got 27 extra pigs in one shot you go well okay we're good for the year so yeah, yeah. <laughs> um you know and so and based on the way we sell it, you know, we, we still live in a town around here too, where, you know, when you tell people, okay, these are our pigs and they see our sows that are, you know, six to 700 pounds, they think that's what they're going to end up if they buy half a pig or a whole pig. Right. Yeah. And they go, holy, you know, crap, what am I going to do with that much? And you go, no, 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 trust me, they're not going to get that big. And so you got to kind of walk them through it, but buying it in bulk is still really scary. And so um, we usually do two to maybe three litters a year depending on demand for it and then um, but other than that we really use our sows and our boar as primarily our mulching crew and then our piglets as we raise them we move them a lot slower but those are the ones that I like to get back where the cows are and let those guys just go destroy everything in sight so that we can reseed and rebuild yeah yeah absolutely yeah use that destructive nature for for positive definitely absolutely all right. So, um, is there a, wow, there's, there's several things. Let's back up real quick. So this is, you had mentioned you quit your job to, to do this and your wife didn't murder you in your sleep. She agreed to it. Yep. <laughs> uh, so, so is this still uh, your full-time gig? You're still at a, a, a full-time farmer now? Yep. And, uh, yeah, my dad has a, his own business. My dad's been an attorney in town here for 30 four years and so i will go in and and help him with his it you know he's one of those guys that loves technology but doesn't want to go through the pain of setting it up so he'll call me and he'll say okay 
I need you to come into town for the day and I need your help setting stuff up. And uh, so I'll go in and help him out. But yeah, other than that, we've been, um, you know, doing this full time. And it's, you know, it's a, anybody that does this knows it's, you know, it's a seven day a week, 100 hour, 100 hour a week hobby. Yeah. And uh, yeah. so, but yeah, I wouldn't trade it. My wife, um, Allison, is a, she's an orthopedic nurse. And so she works two days a week. So it's, you know, me and my two boys um, out here by ourselves two days a week and that's it's mayhem but i you know that's something i, I wouldn't trade that for the world no doubt. so that's great getting to have them out here and when you, know, you just load them up and when you tell them okay guys time to go feed the pigs and or you know let's go you know find the chickens they're out helping slaughter chickens and they do all sorts of stuff with us so yeah it's uh it's been fun but yeah it was thankfully she didn't say well, I hope you're going to march back into your office and ask for your job back because you've obviously gone crazy. <laughs> exactly. And she didn't have me committed, so right. for that I was thankful. But, yeah, you know, she, when I said this is what I want to go do, and I think that there's more to life than running the rat race and making a hundred grand a year so that, you know, I have to beg for three weeks off to actually get to go spend my money and spend any time with you guys. Right. And I said yeah, that just doesn't make sense to me anymore. And, you know, even though that's what you're beat into you in college and, you know, and in high school is, you know, go to college and go get a, you know, high paying job and, um, you know, go work here 60 hours a week. And, you know, you do that for a couple of years and you go, I don't really see the point. Yeah. And I'd rather do something that at the end of the day, I felt like, you know, I gave something back to my community. I gave something back to, um, you know, to, to, to God that gave me the ability and the brain to do this. And, so it's one of those things that I said, you know, I took a, about a 75% cut in pay. Right. And, uh, but you know, we just, we just go make it work. And so, you know, you say, all right, well, I guess we ain't eating out anymore. And, um, you know, gas gets a little thinner, but you know, you go, you go grocery store shopping right after you drop off the pigs at slaughter. So, exactly. you know, you just make it efficient. And, uh, so it's, it's, it's been an interesting couple of years, um, you know, for sure doing it that way. But, you know, like I say, I, I wouldn't change it for the world. So. Wow. Yeah. That's great. I mean, that's, uh, yeah. Wow. That That's, that's really where I think a lot of people that are in the situation where they think at some point I'd like this to go full time, but they, they think how much money do I have to make to be able to live like I'm used to living. But right. when you sit down and do that audit to say, well, if I cut out this, 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 and this, you know, didn't have to have a new car every three years, whatever the case may be, then you don't necessarily have to crack as big a nut as you did when you were running the rat race. It's, it's amazing. Right. And, and, you know, and that's one of the huge things that, that I have found, at least in our area, that people are sorely lacking on is education. So we do probably more educational workshops around here for folks than we do, you know, we don't do farmer's markets at all. Um, they are an absolute waste of time around here. Hmm. Really, a farmer's market in our neck of the woods is something for people to do to kill time before they go to a movie. Yeah. Uh, so the, it's it's just an absolute waste. You know, after I quit going to farmer's markets after my third time of making 40 bucks for the day. And I said, not doing that. So we start doing a workshop. We call it Meat 101. And it's a three-hour intensive class on how is meat produced in this country and why should you care. And when you really dig into that with people about their priorities and they say, okay, you know, you guys have a good job and you live in town and you do all this, what do you spend on your food? And they kind of look around the room and, well, they've never really figured that out. And when you tell them, you know, the average American family spends, you know, less than 10% of their gross income on food for the month, 
and we're the second lowest in the world, you know, on what we spend of our gross on our food. Yeah. People start look, you know, they, they kind of look sideways at each other, like, okay. And you go, well, what what do you think your life would look like if you spent like twenty percent of right. your gross on your food? And they go, well, I don't know, you know. And so people always say, well, yeah, you know, I I would buy the good stuff, but it's really expensive. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, I I, I don't do this for free. I love what I do, but I need to keep the lights on in my house too. And you know, you're you're gonna pay what it actually costs to produce your food. And some people really get that, and man, they're on board. And you've made customers for life, and other people, you know, kind of walk out of there like you hit them over the head with a two by four. Right. And you know, at least you give them something to chew on. But it, it is one of those deals that that's when you start talking priorities with people. You know, you hit them right where they live. And like you said, if you if you sat down and did the math and think, okay, do I need the new cell phone in two years? Probably not. Does my you know does my current iPhone work? Yep. Do I really need the new one? Probably not. All right. Well, now what do we do with that money? You know, do we have to buy the brand new car? Do we really need to go on a vacation every year? Or can we do that every two or three? Yeah. And you know, so it's really just chatting with people about the priorities in their life and. You know, I, I don't think I could have that conversation with anybody until I got mine straight. And once you fi- once I figured out my priorities were to be here, you know, with my family and to raise my boys and to do something that I felt like mattered in the world, all of a sudden you can go have that conversation with people and be like, I've, I've been where you've been, but, you know, something to think about. And, you know, so it's it's not a – not a pushy judgy way but you can say you know what think about it and if you're good with the way things are great and if you're not then go change something yeah yeah and you make there's a lot of good points there and and i'd like to come back to the one that i I think that uh, that needs to be under understood and stated especially for people starting out uh in any type of, of farming endeavor where you're raising quality food but specifically with with pastured pork uh, as as people start to pull the potential audience, their their potential customer base, like, hey, would you? Do you think you'd end up paying uh, X for you know, for sausage or for this amount per pound for all? Well, no, no, I wouldn't do that. You know, I can go to Walmart and I can get in their in their produce section or their uh, meat section. I can get ninety nine cent pork chops. So no, I, I would never pay for that. And and people find themselves being discouraged and think, wow, I mean, how am I going to be able to compete with this? But it really comes back to your key point there of education. If you're mm-hmm. busting your butt trying to convince somebody to uh, that they're trying to compete with a 99 cent pork chop, then that's not your audience. Your audience is somebody that realizes, okay, that 99 cent gray hunk of whatever isn't the same thing as what your know, grand's raising over here on his pasture. This is something totally different. And it's and it's I can justify that five dollars or six dollars or whatever it is a pound at that point. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and there's a lot of that that goes on. And, and so, you know, that's, that's what I've told. And we've had a lot of guys out to our farm too, that say, you know, Hey, I want to start doing what you do. And it never fails. We go to one big event every year, um, marketing for us and without fail, somebody always shows up and they go, man, you're, you're doing what I want to go do in life. And you go, well, why don't you go do it? Yeah. And you know, you hit it on the head. They say, Oh, I'd never be able to make money doing it. Or, Oh gee, I don't know if I ever could. And you know, that's, that's what I always tell them is, you know, the the first step to doing this is you've got to go start, go, go get yourself some pigs, come out, take a tour of our operation. I'll show you what we do. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to give you every trade secret in a book, but 
you know, and the things that I've learned that have cost me blood, sweat, tears, and money. But, you know, I can give you the, the basic overview because, you know, at the end of the day, there's more people, you know, in a 10-mile radius of my farm here than I could ever feed. And so I need extra guys out here that I can call on to help or if they need help and, you know, stuff like that. And so it's just one of those deals that if we can all kind of band together and then educate right. the customer on, you know, what's the difference between that, you know, your Jimmy Dean sausage and why is that three bucks? And Grant, why is your sausage eight bucks a pound? Yeah. Well, you know, that's, that's up to me to really educate them on what the difference is. Yeah. And that's, that's another good point you made there about, yeah, this concept of a rising tide is going to lift all the ships here, especially in a situation like you're, you're describing. We're in a food desert, and there's so much of an education curve. But if people start pulling and say, okay, this, this Grant guy over here is nuts because he wants you know, $7 for a sausage or $6, you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But then I go talk to this other guy that's doing something similar to Grant. Well, his is the same price. Well, this guy's same price. Okay, there's there's something to this. Why Why is this sausage so expensive? Why is it not... Uh, equivalent to Jimmy Dean, and, right. uh, and 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 that's that's where that benefit comes into play. And like you say, there's there's so much need uh, for regenerative farming, uh, natural farming, pasture products type of thing. That yeah, you're you're not going to trip over the same customer. You may from time to time, but you're you're not going to have to be cutthroat with other people in the area doing the same thing. Right. Exactly. All right. So. Well, good. Good stuff there. So, well, let's uh, let's talk a little bit more about about your setup real quick. So, uh, do you do you focus on a specific breed with your pigs, or you you kind of kind of focusing on whatever you, you talked about? You had your boar and your sows. Are they a specific breed, or do you do you kind of mix those? They up? are. Yeah, they're they're all uh, they're all purebred Berkshires. Okay. So, yeah. and uh, you know, I, I like the Berks. Um, they tolerate the cold amazingly well because we don't have heated barns. We don't have right now. They're out in a uh, a plastic three-sided hut with a bunch of straw and they are totally happy um, and I've been really excited with how they've done we finally found a, a mill around here that would do a custom blend feed for us and I've been just absolutely thrilled with how these guys grew last year uh, on that particular ration that we feed so um, yeah you know we've in the past before we had our breeders we raised Durox, and they did pretty well. Um, I was pretty happy with them. They didn't tolerate the cold as well as I'd like. Um, we've done anything that's light-skinned out here, your Yorks, your land races, stuff like that. It just does not survive. Hmm. They get the sun, you know, because our average humidity here is 16% roughly. <laughs> wow. Um, I mean, you burn. And so those poor little pink pigs are either sunburned or freezing, and they just don't survive. So it seems like the darker hair on the Burks, you know, allows them to absorb a little more sunlight, even when it's, you know, 30, 35 degrees and they do just fine. Yeah. So yeah, I don't, I don't really see a, a need to, to mix, you know, and play mad chemist with my, with my genetics unless something starts to not work. All right. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah. If it ain't broke. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> if it ain't broke, yeah, no reason to fix it. All right. So, well, Grant, looking looking ahead uh, as far as uh, goals go, uh, if you forecast twenty twenty and on, maybe five year goal. What what do you see? What are the plans for the farm in the next five years? You know, one of my big plans. Um, what I'd really like to do is figure out how to get more people around here to eat pork, um, and that is just not something I have cracked yet. And so I've kind of made it my mission this year to go 
you know, we have some customers that show up every year, they buy their whole pig and they're thrilled. And you go, great, what's the difference between that customer and most other people when they come out here? And the first question we get is, uh, you know, do you guys raise beef? Yeah, we do, just like everybody else out here has cows and you can get a half a cow from anybody down the road. And, you know, and so then they say, what else do you do? And you say, okay, we do chickens. Great, can I buy chicken? Yep, always can. Uh, you know, we do turkeys for Thanksgiving. Oh, that's really cool. And you say, and by the way, we raise pigs. And they go, oh, I don't eat pork. Mm. And you go, well, why not? And, you know, the reasons people give you sometimes are probably legitimate. But, you know, other times I think it's because they had a bad experience with store-bought pork, right. you know, imported from China. And so they just assume they're going to have the same reaction, whether that's to the nitrates in bacon or ham or, you know, they say, boy, those pork chops we got at, at, you know, our local grocery store were terrible and they were mushy and they were white and they just had an off flavor. And you go, no, I understand that. But the way we do things is different. So you try to educate them a little bit and sometimes you win them over and sometimes you don't. So, you know, what, what I, my personal goal this year out here is that we're going to get, um, I'd like to at least see more than half our pigs uh, that we raised this year go out to our bulk customers, whether that's in holes or halves. Yeah. So that's that's my real goal for the year is to to try and get more people into the bulk pork bandwagon, just like they do, you know, in bulk beef and everything else. So yeah, yeah, and again, that comes back to, and we've touched upon this. It comes back to so many different elements there that uh, it's kind of like a you know brick stacking up in a wall. There's no one. Uh, you know, one size fits all type of thing. But you mentioned right. education. Uh, mm-hmm. You mentioned uh, you know experience. So you maybe that's sampling, maybe that's you know, t- you know, taste setups, those type of things. But then even value added services to say, hey, you know, this we're going to give you recipes on how to prepare this. We're going to show you, you know, here's what you can do with this specific cut if you got a hole and a half. And, and just, just going through those processes and kind of holding their hands and say, hey, here's how to get the best experience out of your whole or half hog. Right. You know, and, and, and it's funny. We have customers that have never cooked a pork roast in their life. And, you know, we have people that the only thing they really know what to do with out of a pig is the bacon. Yeah. And so there's a lot of that. You know, you try to do those recipe cards and, and the value adds and the, um, okay, you know, when they call you and they say, all right, Grant, I'm standing here. What's a country rib and how do I cook it? <laughs> right. Okay. You know, here's some things to walk through. Here's how I, here's how Allison cooks these. Here's how, you know, we do these. And so a lot of it is people really expect you to know every cut, how to cook it and, you know, to produce 12 great recipes right off the top of your head. Yeah. And if you can get one that they really like, you know, you win them over right. and, uh, and they're they're right back there. So yeah, it's it's definitely like you said, not a, not a one size fits all or a, a one answer wins every customer. But um, so I think that's you know just comes down to more having a conversation with every single customer that comes out. Exactly. Yeah, because you just don't know what you're going to run into until you have that conversation. I'll never forget. I know I've mentioned this multiple times on the podcast, but when we were first getting into it, a, a buddy of mine's like, man, I, yeah, I want. I want to get a whole hog off of it. That'd be awesome. I'd love to have that much pork, but I want it to all be bacon. Can you can you do that? And I'm like, wow, <laughs> dude. If I could raise a 100% bacon pig, I'd be a millionaire. Right. Uh, yep. But they just just not understanding. It's like, well, I just thought bacon was just something you did extra after you cut it off, and 
and people yep. say, hey, I got something called a Boston butt, but it's it's not the ham, right? Because this is my ham. So is this, what part of the butt of the pig is this? And it's like, <laughs> well, not technically a butt. It's the, it's the other side. So yep. yeah, some of those things that just, um, that seem kind of, yeah, almost seem, seem kind of funny to us, laughable. You look at that and say, wow, I, okay, my customer base or my potential customer base really does have a strong learning curve here. And they, they just don't get it. You know, jowl bacon is, is a big People look at me cross-eyed when when I talk to them about jowl bacon. It's like, well, it's it's not belly, but it's still pretty daggone good. And some would even argue right. it's better. So, right, yeah, interesting stuff for sure. Well, yeah, well, which is good. Well, all right. Well, um, one thing I always ask everyone on that comes on the channel is kind of this channel. I'm crossing my media here. Everyone that comes on the podcast, uh, what is your best experience or favorite part about raising pigs on pasture? Oh, hands down, my, my favorite part about pigs is how intelligent they are yeah. uh, and, and their personalities. I mean, every one of those pigs, you know them, and especially your breeders. And But even when the piglets are born, you know, the more time you spend with them, every, every single one of them develops their own personality, and every single one of them develops um, – differently and even though you know you may free feed like we do you know your piglets and but you know i'm out there checking on them or i'll reset a fence or when it's moving day every pig is different and so some of them are really really smart and they listen to the electric fence and when it's popping they don't touch it when it turns off man they're the they're leading the charge out of the farm and others of them are very content to sleep 15 hours a day and some of them have an interest that, you know, their mission in life is to flip the water tank. <laughs> and so, you know, that's, you don't get that with any other animal, yeah. you know, chickens and turkeys have a personality per se, but they're kind of all the same. Right. And cows are wonderful, but cows are still cows. And I have yet to find an animal that has the personality and the intelligence of a pig. And so, you know, even my breeder sows, when you call them by name, they know their name. Yeah. And they know what they can get away with and with which person. So my farmhand, they know that when if he's coming to feed, if they all bull rush him, he's more likely to just drop the feed because he's scared to death he's going to get eaten right. than me. And with me, they know, you know, my boar, Mike, knows that if he bumps back my legs enough that I'm going to, you know, get frustrated with him and turn around and whap him in the head with the bucket. And so he stops doing that after two or three times. But, right. you know, it's so that's hands down my favorite part about raising them is you get to know them. And it's it's almost like having, you know, your dog or something like that because they have such a great personality and, and they're they're so smart. Yeah, yeah, it is funny. I, you know, I have had one Sal that anytime I tried to step past her, if she knew – that uh, that she could block me in somewhere, then she she just do it, and she wouldn't try to trap me. She just simply just it seemed like she would laugh because you know she's you know she's five hundred six hundred pounds, and I walk past her, and she's like, I'm just going to shift my hips a little bit here and and see if yep. dum, dummy can move me. So yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm there trying to push her out of the way so I can get out of the barn, and she's like, Yeah, you're not doing it. Yep. All right. Exactly right. Well, man, I appreciate you taking the time to. Um, Come on the podcast. If people want to learn more about Twisted Pines Farm, where can they find you? Um, you know, a great place where we, we do a ton of updates is our Facebook page, um, which is just, you know, facebook.com slash Twisted Pines Farm or our website, which is twistedpinesfarm.com. All right. Excellent. 
Well, I appreciate you coming on, and uh, I hope you're not getting too much snow that's uh, that's crippling tonight. Yeah, I don't think so. Hopefully, it'll all be gone tomorrow. So, <laughs> oh, there you go. All right. So, well, great thank I, you. I appreciate your time. You have a good evening. Thank you. You too. All right. Take care. Well, all right. Well, that was. Uh, I hope you all enjoyed that conversation. I, I enjoyed sitting down, talking to Grant, and getting his take on uh, you know, raising pork, and of course, selling that, and and all the uh, hurdles that go along with that. If you if you would like to be on the podcast, or you know anyone that would also like to be interviewed, or a topic of discussion, uh, by all means, please go to redtoolhouse.com forward slash pastured pig podcast. Uh, there's a simple little contact form you can use there, and that gets you in my queue, and I can get something scheduled for you. Um, something I'm kicking around toying with is an idea of, of sharing funny stories. Um, if that's something you want to email me, you can email me at troy at redtoolhouse.com. You can use the contact form at the website. Um, yeah, there's there's various ways we can do it. I could even, if you email me, we can even set up a way that you can do a simple voice recording with your smartphone and send it to me, and I, I would play it on the podcast. But we're looking for um, uh, you know, the the lighter side or the um, the self-deprecating side of pig farming. So if you've got a, a story, maybe a, a failure that you can look back on and laugh, or a situation you thought was going to go a certain way and it didn't, has an element of humor to it, then by all means share that with us. And I'll make sure to incorporate that into the podcast. Um, I will be sharing some of my own as we go forward, and we'll just see how this goes. Maybe I'm the only one that uh, makes mistakes in the pasture, but uh, uh, we'll uh, we'll share those. And again, feel free to communicate with me uh, your experiences. If it's if you send it to me in email or text, obviously I'll read it. If you want to send me an audio recording, then like I said, just send me an email at troy at redtoolhouse.com, and I'll send you a link where you can. Uh, message you can either text or you can email that um, voice recording on your smartphone to me all right well i hope everyone has a great week out in the pasture if you're out in my pasture you'll be swimming uh, but i pray you have a good week take care everybody we hope you have enjoyed this episode of the pastured pig podcast to learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes visit redtoolhouse.com